Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Creation Today Claim series, posted December 14, 2016, titled Creation Today Claims Polystraight Trees. For years then, we haven't even copyrighted our material. We allow people to copy it, to give it away. That's what we want. Do upright fossilized trees demolish the idea of an old earth? The man from down under says yes. No, not that one. This guy. What do we have this week, Eric? This is the Creation Today Show. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Hoven, and I'm joined by Paul Taylor. And today we've got a very special guest with us in the studio, all the way from Australia. We've got John Mackay with us in the studio again. Welcome, John. I'll g'day, say g'day, good day, mate. Oh, I got it yeah, right. Got it right. I'm looking forward to sharing some of the fossil evidence. You got rock some good solid stuff. It is. Rock solid. <laughs> the rock solid evidence. Now that's some pulpit level comedy, John. Now I know many say that the British accent is authoritative and intelligent but I'm personally completely swayed by anything said in an Australian accent. Doesn't matter if it's Russell Crowe. Oh man, that's just such a lumpy ass number. Kate Blanchett. Crazy, she's crazy. She's crazy. Keith Urban. Trying to just live life and not listen to chatter. Iggy Azalea. That's basically just my aspirations uh, to be a teacher. Michelle Jenicky. I wriggle that's my fingers because it gets my fast switch fibers going. Or even Ken Ham. They tell me I have an accent. And so it doesn't matter what I say, some people tell me, we just like to hear saying it. But since Eric didn't list any credentials beyond your speaking credits and your esteemed nationality, let's just do a quick check here on your website. Not for any ad hominem attacks or anything, I just want to get to know Eric's guest a little better. Okay, like Eric said, you've been speaking for over 30 years. Doesn't say what you did before that. No science background. Oh, but it does say you debated and defeated Richard Dawkins. One is what I call the Richard Dawkins response because okay. I've debated him. You can see yes. bits of it on YouTube. <laughs> That's impressive, John. How did that even happen? Let's click on that link. John McCoy. How do you Good do? Night. How nice to meet you. I do very well, thank Good. you. Good. Good. Uh, just be looking at your little pamphlet. Don't have yes. to read it. Um, anyway, thank you very much for doing this. Pleasure. Um, you do a lot of talks to schools. Do, do, do yes, I do we've been in a high school today. Wait, this is the debate? This is in a hallway. He doesn't seem to know who you are, and he seems to be interviewing you out of sheer happenstance for something. Oh. He was gathering footage for the Genius of Charles Darwin documentary from the BBC, and you just happened to be there. So Dawkins wasn't trying to argue, he was just getting your viewpoint on record for potential use in a documentary that you didn't even end up in. Are you exaggerating your claims, John? There's a commandment about lying, isn't there? We're talking science here, and you end up with a personal attack. You know, and you think, come on, Richard, talk yeah. stuff, right? Talk facts. Okay, okay, you're right. We're here to talk about ideas and not worry about who presented them. I just hope we don't have a pattern of exaggeration here, John. But carry on with the science. We got a lot of great stuff we're going to share with you. Uh, some really cool stuff about polystrata fossils. Nice. 
Now I like to keep Google open to look up phrases that I don't know, so let's get a tab open here with polystrate fossils. Hmm. All of these results seem to come from creation-related sources. Why are there no geology sources here? Oh, I see. Geologists use an entirely different term for this phenomenon. They call it upright fossils, not polystrate. Now why would creationists use a different name? It wouldn't be to make sure that believers see only conservative Christian worldview answers when they search, would it? SearchCreation.org brings the top creation and apologetic websites together into one search engine while ignoring the thousands of sites that push lies and half-truths. If I understand this right, Eric, it is kind of like Google that will only bring up a conservative Christian worldview answer on the topic. <laughs> it's exactly what it is, and it's amazing. I'm telling you, I use this all the time now. Oh, okay. That bodes poorly. Maybe we should just look at those fossils. That's right. Wow, well we've been looking at polystrate fossils. These are uh, fossils that are running up through several layers of rock and according to the evolution worldview, these layers were laid down over long... Since we're all still new here, I'm just going to remind everyone that evolution is the explanation of biological diversity on our planet. It has less than nothing to do with geology. It says nothing about layers of rock. In fact, most creationists accept the 4.3 billion year age of the Earth, even if they deny the evolution part. But, carry on. <laughs> That's where we're going to start. There's me with one of our Australian polystrate trees. You can see people need to send donations. We geologists need better clothes than that. But, uh, <laughs> it was hot in the middle of summer. And of course, there's the most famous ones in the world, wow. the ones that uh, Charles Lyell and Dawson and the others found in Nova Scotia. Uh, Joggins is the place. Since I've kept Google handy, let's take a look at that Joggins Nova Scotia fossil. Here it is from... 1868. 1868. Before the discovery of germs, before we knew why the sky appears blue, before the invention of toilet paper, J.W. Dawson published a 700-page book containing the geological explanation for these upright fossils. Obviously you must know about this research, John, so I'm sure you're getting to it. But since then, I've been to places like Washington. There's one of my most, most recent ones. Oh, okay. We're going to go through some examples first. You can see I've got the word strata marked out, and hence polystrate. It goes through many strata. Unbelievable. But here's the most exciting one. After a big landslide, I noticed this little bit of a fossil tree poking out, so we got up and we cleaned it up a bit. We filmed it all because these things do have a habit of eroding wow, with time. Nice. And uh, as I cleaned it out, I noticed one spectacular thing. See where the red arrow is marked? Yes. I got the colour right this time. <laughs> uh, I noticed that the leaves were still attached to this tree. Wow. Right, now you live in a country where trees every year lose their leaves. Yeah. And uh, you know how long it takes for those leaves to fall off. Not so amazing. these trees did not take long to get buried. They were buried before the leaves fell off. Interesting. Rapid burial. You seem pretty excited about that. Do the scientists not know about this? To become a fossil, you need to be one of the rare animal bodies that is rapidly buried soon after the animal died. In order for a fossil to form, the body of a recently dead plant or animal has to be insulated from contact with the air and the external environment by being immediately covered in soil, mud, or sand. Skeletal fossils are made when an animal dies and are buried very quickly beneath layers of fine rock and dirt called sediment. An animal's body may become very quickly covered in sediment upon death. 
so it's well known that rapid burial is a geological requirement for fossilization. There are others, of course, like pressure, time, and the presence of the right minerals, but it is one of the necessary conditions that makes fossils so rare. This is well understood by those who study it and by no means any kind of surprise or unexpected finding you got. I've been challenging people around the globe with two things. One is, how did you get this fossil into the rocks? Two, how long did it actually take? I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that you're not going to suggest that the devil put the fossils in the rock to confuse us. So we would agree that the how is the formation of rock around an existing tree. So now we can jump ahead to how long the process took, as you suggest. And if you have trees that go 30 meters through the rock, oh then the following logic is obvious. Number one, it was buried in less time than the tree takes to go rotten. Right, we established that rapid burial is a prerequisite for fossilization, but the word rapid here is in more geological time frames. It can be instantaneous, of course, and we get pretty exciting preservations when it is, like those leaves in your example, or this oviraptor protecting its nest from a mudslide. But as you point out, the only real requirement is that the burial takes place before the organism decays. Obviously a tree trunk is going to allow a longer time to be covered than an animal carcass. So how long are we talking about here? There are a lot of factors like type of tree, how old it was when it died, moisture, weather, etc. But the pretty extensive scientific research shows a range of 50 to 100 years for some of the softer trees and upwards of 200 to 300 years for other types. That's true. Number two, all those layers didn't slowly get there one on top of the other. They had to get there in less time than the tree took to rot. Also correct. And according to the evolution worldview, these layers were laid down over long periods of time. So you're talking, I mean, an approximate to get, you know, a million years gets in their worldview, mm -hmm. gets how much sediment or does it well, vary? Well, it varies, but usually they talk about, you know, Aha, I knew we could count on Eric to illustrate the science disconnect here, but I didn't know he'd actually point out the answer as well. Eric asked an honest question here, and it's an easy misunderstanding to make to think that the thickness of the layer of the strata should somehow be related to how long it took for the layer to form. One might imagine something like a 3D printer that slowly and consistently adds material to the model at a constant rate, and you could measure the height and know the time. But that's not how nature works. Notice that John quickly changed the subject here, like someone caught in an embarrassing lie. But he totally and truthfully answered the question for us, even though it demolishes his whole premise. It varies. The thickness of a layer tells us next to nothing about how long it took to form. All it can really tell us is how much material was deposited. Let's go back to that 150-year-old book that introduced the world to these upright fossils in the first place. Page 184. The reader will note here that the absolute thickness of any bed, or mass of beds, is no measure of the time occupied in their formation. A layer of sand may be spread over a wide surface by a single storm or inundation. See, it's not a uniformitarian process. The accumulation of sand, volcanic ash, or vegetation obviously varies from location to location and year to year depending on weather, natural disasters, and other factors, even within one small area. So how does that 150-year-old book account for the first, and most famous, of these so-called polystrate fossils? It tells us that the layer of coal under the rooted fossil was made from several feet of vegetable matter, probably in the form of peaty soil. In that soil grew a tree, where it lived about 150 years to attain its 12-inch diameter. The tree died and began to decay. As it did, its base became covered by about 18 inches of sediment. On this layer, other trees began to grow to a diameter of about 4 inches, as evident in the fossil record. These plants were in turn embedded by a coarser sediment gradually enough to allow other plants to start up, with the mud and sand eventually attaining a depth of 9 feet. 
At that point, the hollowed-out rotting top of the tree was easily broken off by something, as indicated by the non-jagged top. This shearing is a common feature in upright fossils. The exposed hollow hole in the log was subsequently filled with sand, water, and animals, according to the findings inside. This additional material helped strengthen the tree's form for preservation. One of the area's familiar swamps formed next, as indicated by the type of coal layer covering our tree. Apply pressure, mineralization, and plenty of time, and that storied piece of Canadian earth was preserved to be read as plainly in 1868 as it is today. The majority of the world's upright fossils happen to be found in this part of Nova Scotia, though specimens have been spotted elsewhere in the world. Such fossils are found nearly exclusively in volcanic regions which provide sudden lava flow for coverage, or areas like Joggins that are marshy and subject to rapid flooding for quick deposits. If you didn't know any better, you'd think there was a worldwide flood exactly <laughs> like the Bible said. Ugh, I should have known better. Eric's always anxious to add worldwide if anyone ever says the word flood. The trouble is, if Dawson's fossil had been the result of a single flood, then these separate strata would instead be a single layer with particulates sorted by density. And these plants would not have grown at the different levels and positions they were found, and the tree wouldn't have had the decades needed to rot for clean shearing and to create the cavity for the sand and critters to settle in. So, one big flood doesn't help us here. And if so-called polystrate fossils were evidence for such a flood, we would expect to find them all over the world and not just areas with local flooding. Remember that while depositing materials around these trees happened in the span of just a few hundred years, it still took many, many years after that for the material to actually become the fossil, sandstone, or coal that we see today. But some people get educated beyond common sense, unfortunately. Such a Man. shame. That attitude is so telling. I'll probably delve into Eric's fetish for common sense over education and facts in a future video, but I suspect it has everything to do with the old salesman trick of telling his audience whatever they want to hear and counting on them never investigating for themselves. How else could he possibly get away with pretending that a 150-year-old find by scientists is an unsolved mystery for scientists, or in any way a gotcha for the multiply attested age of the earth? Eric and his kind are counting on you not looking for yourself, or if you do, falling for their creationist-only label to keep you from finding actual answers. Do these sound like the tactics of honest men with truth on their side? Do they? Join me next time to hear all about dinosaur soft tissue. Maybe even hit those like and subscribe buttons to make sure you see when it's posted. Then let me know what you thought in the comments below. I'd love to hear. Later.